0: that you're here with us tonight. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and uh, we started this series that really we've been singing about in these last few songs, uh, leaning into the Christmas series called Let There Be Light last week and we talked about the lights that we kind of typically put around our house or our apartment we kind of decorate for the season in a way that helps us remember the fact that that God one day said let there be light and it's not just the reality of the existence of the cosmos and everything that we know but that he is a creative God and, and allowing light to push back darkness and as a call for the church and a call for us as followers of Jesus if you call yourself that here tonight that that part of our role is light carriers that Jesus said you're now the light of the world, and he is the light, and yet he kind of lets us be a carrier with that, partnered up with him, and we're meant to push back darkness and to separate that and and to bring God's hope and light into the places that we kind of intersect and that we cross paths with. And tonight, we want to pick up this idea of, okay, not just light to dark places, but a light to all people. Now, I don't know if you have something, kind of the theme verse of this whole series is Isaiah 9-2. It's really the theme verse for the song we're gonna sing after this sermon, looking at Let There Be Light. Isaiah 9-2 says this, the people were walking in darkness. They've seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness and light has dawned, and it's this idea that there was 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, and really that's where we find the Christmas story in Luke and in Matthew, and then we looked at John last week, because John actually has something to say about the Christmas story that's different than maybe the descriptors we have, uh, more descriptors that we have in Matthew and in Luke, and in Matthew and in Luke, we kind of see the manger scene. A little bit that's kind of what we have how many of you have a major scene around your house around Christmas time okay so I've got one we got actually a couple one that's the porcelain one like the ceramic one the one that's nice you don't want the kids playing with and then we have this one that we've just had around our house for our, like since the kids were little and we thought okay these are stuffed things and that's great because you can't break them uh, you can maybe set them on fire but we try not to let our kids play with fire so um, so we have lots of different people in here. You got like some of the wise men, you got uh, sheep, other wise men and stuff. And you get, uh, One time, uh, Callie brought the pink hippo And that made it into our manger scene, and it just kind of stayed there for a while. And a little donkey, and you got sheep. Okay, baby Jesus we got here. He's kind of the star of the show um, and all that. Got a camel. We got Mary and Joseph. We've got a cow, which I'm not sure like Chick-fil-A cow was there, but uh, we're there. And there we have everybody. We'll put the pink hippo right there. So that's kind of the manger scene in, in a setting. And in a lot of ways, so much of the Christmas story is tied to this and and we'll look at that in a second. But if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to John chapter 1. And then we're going to get into Luke chapter 2. Or if you have your phone, you can go to Version and just click on events. And you'll find everything that we have, all the sermon notes and all this stuff in there if you just look for Element City Church. But in John chapter 1, remember, John's speaking. He borrowed from that Genesis language where God said, let there be light. And he talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And in one verse right here, he says something pretty profound, and I want to tie it to what the angels say in Luke chapter 2. Here's what John says, John chapter 1, verse 9. The true light that gives light to, and what's the next word? The true light to everyone was coming into the world. Remember, we kind of looked at what Timothy Keller said uh, last week, this idea that the emphasis on light in darkness comes from the Christian belief that the world's hope comes from outside of it. It's not something that we get to drum up within and something we can kind of muster up and do ourselves, that God said, let there be light, and it became. And then Jesus is being introduced as the light of the world. God the Father, God the Son now, God the Spirit, the Trinity making a work that comes from outside to do something that we could not reproduce or produce on our own. The light for everyone was coming into the world. And in Luke chapter two, we read these words the angels were. They were kind of setting the table for the Christmas story that we'll look at a little bit on Christmas Eve. And I just want to invite you back Christmas Eve, 5 o'clock right here. Bring some friends, some family. Uh, we'll have a great time, and don't be late. You won't want to miss it. So, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, okay? That'd be pretty freaky if an angel showed up in your living room and said, hey. And like, you'd be like, whoa, that's different. Um, But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. So many times we read in scripture that God is saying to his people, do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news that will bring great joy for some people. Is that what he says? Is that what the angels say? For all the people. I bring you good news that will bring great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and he is the Lord. All people. What's fascinating about the Christmas story is that it's a story of the most inclusive story that's ever been told. And so many times, Christians or Christianity gets labeled as being the most uh, uninclusive. In fact, there's barriers to it, and people say this, They, they put labels and all that stuff, and listen, a lot of people may have feelings that way, but just because you have a feeling doesn't make it true, right? So this idea of what has been propagated in some ways, I just wanna go back to the original story because what Matthew points out, what John points out in his gospel, and what Luke points out in Luke chapter two is that this story is a story for all people. And I want you to go on a little bit of a journey with me, thinking back to the manger scene you have at your house because maybe you don't have a pink hippo, uh, but you've got Jesus, right? Like, he's kinda central, it matters that he's there. There doesn't have to be a pink hippo, but Jesus really gotta be there, right? And so like, he's central to the story. But I want you to think tonight. In fact, when you go home, I want you to think about what we're gonna spend a little bit of time talking about. It's the other characters in the manger scene that gives us a little bit of a glimpse into the kind of heart God has. In fact, you think back to Mary, right? Mary is often portrayed uh, as someone who's probably in in their mid to late 20s. More than likely from Jewish tradition, Um, Mary was probably a late teenager. More than likely because of the tradition and how things worked back then in the ancient Near East, back in the first century, Mary is probably really young. And so not only is this story new and probably pretty shocking to her, but to Joseph as well, and to her in particular, we we see this idea that the story of Christmas, the story of God's hope being for all people is not just for old people, not just for people who have lived life and have experience and, and all that's a great thing, but this is a story for young people. This is a story to meet people right where they're at, and that's what we see in Mary. See, what, what you don't understand in the first century compared to today is that in our day and age, youth matters. In fact, our culture is bent around maintaining and holding on to your youth, right? Brian and I feel this today as we celebrate our birthdays. We're, we're not getting younger, okay? So like, But our culture pushes us to pursue youth and to value it. But back then, that wasn't a high value in the first century. In fact, youth was kind of frowned on. We, we think of children having great value and honor today, don't we? But back in the first century, that was not the case. In fact, there was a, an ancient Near East practice called exposure that happened in so much of the ancient Near East that basically said, if your child was born to you, and you didn't like them, you could take them to the city dump and leave them. And for however long they would struggle to stay alive, that's where they would be. That was the ancient Near East. Children had no value, they had no uh, vantage point other than maybe the firstborn male. But other than that, if they were more of an inconvenience, you could actually literally drop them off. That's harsh to us. We hear that and go, how can that be? Well, we still struggle with some of this. We just call it something different, don't we? But back then, that was the value, real low value. It wasn't something of great dignity. The older you got, the aged were the ones who had the status in that day and so there's this struggle that goes on and yet this gospel story says look jesus is introducing something different how crazy is it that the creator of the universe came as a vulnerable child into that culture into a young lady named mary to portray and maybe to show something that was radically different. In fact, you go on and you follow Jesus' life and his practice around children, and we read this in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said as people were trying to buffer the kids and keep them away from him, he said, you let the little children come to me, and you do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. See, Jesus began to usher in a radical vantage point change, a filter of how people saw children. In fact, the early church began to practice and had this practice. You could read a book uh, called, uh, John Orberg wrote a book called Who Is This Man? Studying Jesus from a historical point of view, not even necessarily from a super biblical point of view, but how Jesus influenced so many realms of society, and one of those being healthcare and the value of children. Think about it. The early church in the first, second, and third century were the church, were the people who went to the city dumps and picked up the children who had been left off. The idea that we have orphanages today actually began with Jesus and his movement that he started. The fact that we have some people in here who practice foster care, the only reason that exists is because Jesus introduced something radically different and his followers began to play something out in a society that practiced this whole idea of exposure, so much so in the impact that they had, but by the fourth century, the Roman emperor outlawed the practice of exposure and no longer was it allowed to be. This is the Roman government that tried to squish out Christianity. So think about the radical change that happened in four centuries because of Jesus and how the light of the world begin to introduce this idea that the story of Christmas is a story for all ages. Mary also kind of portrays this idea uh, of the fact that she's a woman. And she's, uh, that this Christmas story is a story for all genders. Women didn't have much value or dignity or respect in the ancient Near East first century culture. Uh, there is often seen as the property of a husband or the property of their father. They weren't allowed to study in ways, and yet Jesus, every time he taught, everybody was welcome, men and women. In fact, in the way that he began the church, women had prominent roles in leadership, just as they do today and just as they do here. This idea that Jesus began to introduce respect and dignity and value into women in the first century was massive change, from the way culture had been, and the way that the whole backdrop of the way that uh, kind of played out of what they knew. And what we see in Mary is that Jesus was beginning to say there's a different story. This story is not just for all ages. This story is for both genders. This story is available to each and everyone. John Orberg writes in that book, he talks about that back in the first century, there were typically 140 men to every 100 women. Why is that? Because typically that's reversed. Now, well often because of exposure, the law of exposure that people that had daughters maybe didn't want them and would hand them over and drop them off and we're appalled by that. And we should be. But that was the reality of the day. It's not just clean cut. But of all these characters, Jesus begins introducing and he gave women a great place in the kingdom movement and prominent back then that women had names and they had value and they had respect and restored dignity and the impact that that began to have in the first, second, third, fourth century of the early church movement was amazing and still is today, still has progress to go today. But this Jesus story, this light of the world kind of story. It's a story for all ages, for all genders for all people. We we think of uh, the shepherds who are out there, right? And they're watching the sheep by night and we think shepherds, sometimes maybe you're a manly man and you're like, hey, shepherds are cool because they're not cooped up in like a cubicle all day and like crunching numbers on a calculator. They're just out there on the hillside and they got to fight bears and that's awesome. They probably have beards and that's awesome. And they probably spill stuff in their beards and eat it two days later because that's awesome. And like maybe you think it's super, super cool that shepherds and that's what they did but you have to understand the first century. In the first century, shepherds were nobodies. That was in the class system and the class structure that was prominent in that day, they were the low, below class. They were the scoundrels and the thieves and the unworthy people, the people you would never have over to Thanksgiving dinner, the people you wouldn't give a second glance to. They were outcast in that society. How crazy is it that when God shows up and says let there be light again and he sends his son, that the first honored guest to see him are who? The shepherds, that they get invited. Listen, you have thrown parties. I know you, you know how to party. You know how to invite guests. Some of you have just gotten married and you had an invitation list. Some of you have been married for a while and you had to go through that. Do you remember going through the list when you were cutting down the reception? You're like, okay, this person, they're in because of this. And you have the whole thing. And other people, well, you're like, ah, I like them. But we can't bring them, right? And so, like, you can't afford that kind of thing. And then, like, other people, you're like, no. Just no. Okay, we're not going there. Uh, and so it was easy. Like, so you had the positive yes, and they had uh, stuff that were like definitely no, and you had a ton in the middle, and you're trying to figure out, okay, do we want to pay for them, and all that kind of stuff. And you're asking all these questions, right? And you're creating this list. Think about Christmas like this. When Jesus is introduced, would you have invited the A list that God did? Friends, I. I don't think I would've, just being real. That the A-list, the people who made the list first, were the outcast of the day. The Christmas story is for the least of this culture. It's for those who maybe feel like they can never make their way to God. Isn't that the beauty of the Christmas story? That God didn't wait for us to make our way to Him? That He made His way to us. And he said, it's not the people who have arrived, because they feel like they've arrived. It's the people who feel like they've been left behind. I'm coming for them, I'm coming for them. And so, the first people that get invited are the shepherds, the outcasts of the day. It's crazy when you begin thinking of the Christmas story this way. That the Christmas story is one for all ages, one for both genders, one for the outcast. It's also for those that have felt like they've arrived. We have the the magi, right? And if you think about the magi, uh, we've got typically how many in the Christmas story? We'll check your math, okay, yeah. Uh, Three, right, typically, and the reality is if you think about this and you actually study this from a historical point of view, it's probably closer to 12. We think three because they brought three gifts. and and they brought three things, and that's kind of what's put on display, but the reality is it's probably 10 to 12, and they're traveling in this caravan, and the Magi, in essence, what you have to understand is they were the modern day back then uh, of astrologers and scientists, those who had studied the stars, those who had been well-educated, those who had been invested in quite a bit. They were probably pretty wealthy, and they had so much going for them in a lot of ways, They were the people that we would look at and go, they've arrived. They have the American dream. They have what they need, and they have more than they need. In fact, they are so far opposite of the shepherds, it's crazy to even begin to think about. And yet, what do we see the Magi? They're searching. They've arrived according to the world's point of view but yet they're searching. There's something missing. There's something hollow in their own heart that they have acquired so much, and yet they need, and there's this search and this ache that they still have, and so something catches their eye, and they begin to go on this journey, and we read most of this in, in Matthew as it begins to understand, and they show up, uh, remember to King Herod there in Jerusalem, and so this is Matthew chapter uh, 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and said, "Uh, hey, where is this one who's been born, king of the Jews? We saw his star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. Now, King Herod is a guy that you don't have conversations with about worship or kingship or anything like that because King Herod is crazy. Like, he's drinking the crazy sauce, like crazy, and it's just over the top, right? And because he's threatened He's even threatened by his own kids and has them killed. He's threatened, he actually sends out this edict to say, hey, all kids under the age of two are gonna be killed, all baby boys. We're just gonna take them all out. That way this whole kingship, king of the Jews thing isn't gonna happen. And so we understand that Jesus has to flee and that's part of the whole prophecy that begins to play out here a little bit later. You can read that in Matthew two and chapter three. But So there's some crazy stuff going on, and then the, the Magi are aware of this, and, they, and God says, hey, you need to go a different way. So they don't invite King Herod to go with them. They just kind of take off, and they go down. Verse 9, here's what happens. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen rose and went ahead of them, and until it stopped over the place where the child was, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Typically, what we see In our manger scenes that we have at home is the Magi are there on that night. Probably didn't play out that way. In fact, if you're a Bible scholar, you understand it didn't play out that way. We like it because it's nice for the story, but the reality is it probably happened a few months later, maybe even up to a year and a half later, where they showed up and arrived at the house, you can read. They find Jesus at the house with Mary and Joseph. So they're no longer at the stable. And they bring these gifts and often really those gifts were expensive gifts and they were used to symbolize some things for Jesus in his future. They were also used to, they probably sold the gold and that's what helped fund their whole trip down to Egypt as they escaped from Herod and escaped everything that's going on. And so we begin to see these magi come who are super educated but they're on this search. And this truth begins to echo out more and more in the, in the gospel story and the Christmas story that the light of the world is in light for all people for all ethnicities, all people groups, all ages, all genders, all class structures, that what we see in the Christmas story is that this light of the world Jesus news is a good news for all people, for everyone. It's a beautiful story about being inclusive in that. The light of the world is for all people, young and old, male and female, people from the east, people from the west, people who shop at Walmart, people who shop at Nordstrom's, people who ride the bus, and people who drive a BMW. The poor and the wealthy, whether you're less educated or street smart, or whether you're super educated and college smart, whether you have dark skin or those with light skin, God's light is equally and readily available to all people and to everyone and to each one. And that is what makes this story incredible. See, in God's economy, everybody matters. We have a little saying around here. Everyone's welcome, each person matters. Everyone's welcome, each one matters. That's the call of the church, to not just be carriers of Jesus' light, to push back darkness and to to go into places that maybe are darkened to bring his light there. But to bring his light specifically to each and every people group we can. Because the Christmas story in this Jesus news is a news that's available and readily available to each one and to everyone. The church should be the most inclusive movement on the planet, period. There should be no second And yet, we struggle with that. If you just look at our culture, doesn't our culture crave this? Isn't our culture shouting out for this kind of inclusive nature and invitation? In the backdrop of your day, friends, you have an opportunity as the church to say no more. This is a news for each one and for everyone. This is an opportunity for us to be. And so what does this mean for us? I wrote this real simply. Jesus wants us not to just celebrate that inclusive notion in principle. This isn't about just agreeing with, hey, that's a nice principle. Jesus now calls you and me to be radically inclusive in practice. This isn't a principle we just agree about and go, that's nice. This is about a practice that we engage in. That the people you see at the gas station matter to God. The people you meet at the hospital matter to God. The people in your neighborhood, right across your street, they matter to God. The people you see begging on the street corners, they matter to God. They have a name, they have a story, and they matter to God and they better matter to me. That's the challenge. Is that easy? No. Is that our calling? Yes. And so as a church, each one of us individually, we've gotta wrestle with that, and we've gotta own that. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. They matter everyone whether they're from the far east or the far west the south the north wherever they hail from they matter to jesus and the jesus story the story of christmas is a story for each and everyone i, I want you to meet uh, a couple friends tonight that um that I'm super proud of, you should be too, that uh, Tyler and Megan Goodwill are going to make their way out here. And uh, you sent them out about a year ago. Remember, they were here. They're a part of Elements family, and they're part of our house, and we kind of commissioned them about a year and three months ago or so. Uh, And as they headed out to Youth with a Mission, they're in Chico, California. They're going to give you a little update on that. But this is Tyler and Megan Goodwill, if you'd welcome them. And, um, you know, as we, I'm gonna let you kind of catch us up in the last year, but I just want to tell you publicly, I am so proud of you guys. I'm so proud of you guys, because you're doing what we're talking about. And we may not be able to do how you're doing it, uh, to say, hey, the gospel is for all people, But we get to live kind of vicariously through you a little bit, and we're going to practice it in our neck of the woods and how our slice of the kingdom we've given, Uh, been given to 10, but you guys are getting to practice this on a whole nother level. And uh, I'm just excited to have you back for a couple weeks as you get ready to head out. Uh, But kind of catch us up, Megan, on this last year, how things have gone, and uh, fill us in as your church family.
1: Yes, well, hello, everyone. I know we know many of you out there, but for those of you that don't know us, this is Tyler, and I'm Megan, and we've just been so blessed to call Elements our home church. Um, we've been married about two and a half years, and we know Jack longer than that, but we've just, um, yeah, you guys have been, whether you know it or not, just a huge part of our journey and um, just been such a blessing to us as we've kind of ventured off into this past year and a half of following God, so um about a year and a half ago, I'll just give you guys a little backstory. For those of you that don't know us, um, we were nearing the end of our college career and kind of facing that question of, "Okay, Lord, what's going to be next? Are we going to be jumping into our jobs, or what? What is it going to look like?" And God just began to make it really clear that He had something for us that was not what we were imagining or had, that we had expected, but He wanted us to be going into full-time missions work, and so. As we began to kind of unpack that and explore what that looked like, um, we came across an organization called Youth with a Mission. It's a it's an interdenominational Christian missions movement all over the world, and we just felt like we wanted to um, get more training and just really have a foundation not only for whatever we do in life but for our marriage. And so God made that really clear to us. And so about a year and a half ago, we went out and we did the six month school in Chico, California, and We just, um, yeah, it was just a life-changing time for us, and God really spoke so much to us about his plans for our life and even just nations that he was putting on our heart. And and he just, after that, we did a two-month outreach to South Africa, and God really just kept speaking to us. You're supposed to continue. This isn't the end for you, so... For about the past nine months, we've been on full-time staff. We've gone full-time into this um, missions. I guess you could say we're full-time missionaries. still kind of weird to us. We're like, what does that even mean? But <laughs> um, So we live now in Northern California. Um, the past nine months, we've had the opportunity to disciple high schoolers through summer programs. We've gotten to do local ministry in Chico, ministering to international students. That's something God really put on our hearts is... Um, ministering specifically to Muslims, so I've been getting to build some relationships with some students, and God's just been doing a lot these past nine months in our lives, and um, you guys have been a huge part of that, just supporting us in your prayers, and Jack and Brian, and you all have just blessed us and kind of been the platform that we've gone out from, so we just wanna say thank you to you guys for even just coming here, because you guys are a launching pad for us, so.
0: Thanks, Megan. You want to add to that? You want to share anything? You're back at your home church.
2: Um, (laughs) Yeah, actually, I do just want to honor Jack and Brian. Um, They've really just championed us and encouraged us to go out. And, Jack, I just want to honor you and just saying, like, you've seen us in the the peaks. Well, maybe some peaks, but a lot of valleys. You've seen us in the valleys. And um, you've been there for us, and so thanks Mm. for Thanks for that. When, um, yeah, I'll just share a quick thing. When God was calling us to, to y, we call it YWAM, Youth with a Mission. So the acronym is YWAM. But um, when He was calling us, everything lined up. We were getting excited about it. We were hearing God's voice, you know. We were like, oh, this is it. We came home for three weeks and fundraised pretty much everything we needed to, which is like just a miracle in and of itself. We moved, we were excited. And then we got there and we were terrified. <laughs> and we were just like, um, quickly, it just became difficult, and uh, and like just moving, living away, being in missions, um, it was it was a difficult time for us. So like I don't, don't want to lie, it hasn't all been like perfect. And it's funny I think as Christians sometimes we speak in code, because uh, I told a friend I was like yeah God's really teaching us a lot of things. He's like oh he's like you're going through trials, huh? <laughs> I was like yeah yeah definitely. <laughs> um, and so I just felt like that word of encouragement for people here, though, like if God's promised you something and um, or even if you've pursued something or, you know, you're pursuing the Lord and and things get difficult, like that's OK. And um, Jack's been a real encouragement in that. And I know, like, I'm happy to follow somebody who has been through a difficult time and hasn't given up. And um, so, like, we're just super happy that God has given us peace. Um, And joy as we've trusted Mm -hmm. in him the verse that really got me through was May the God of all hope give you all peace and joy as you trust in him um, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, It just reminded me that we have to like go through that uncomfortable time to I don't know to see what God has for Mm -hmm. us. So Mm -hmm. thank you for being a a home church in Tucson that we can come back to and Just feel loved and refuel that but um good. So yeah, if that okay, applies okay, yeah. to you, don't give up. <laughs>
0: Thank you for that. Take that word. That's a good word. And I know when Brian and I met with you guys, gosh, a year and a half ago at Applebee's, we met, and we talked about, you know, part of the money that you all give, uh, we set aside some for missions, and part of that's helping support. It's not everything, because you need more. Um, And you've got a new adventure coming up here, actually, like, in nine days or something, you're leaving. So tell us a little bit about that uh, into this next year, and then we're going to close our sermon time just kind of praying for you guys. Uh, and praying for us that we would be people who bring this news to all people. And I know that's part of the passion of your heart. And so what are you guys getting ready to do?
2: Yeah, on December 27th, we're going to Greece. um, And we're just going to eat Greek food and relax on the beach. (laughs) No. That's um, not true. (laughs) We are, a cool thing with YWAM is we have a lot of international opportunities to do stuff. And as Megan said, God put on our hearts Muslims. And um, so... We're going to Greece for three weeks to work with uh, the refugee issue that's going on over there. There's a lot of Syrian refugees and Afghani people, and actually from all over, but mostly Syria, that are flooding into Greece and living in refugee camps, hoping to find better life somewhere else. Um, so we'll be working three weeks with those refugee camps with the with the kids, with the adults, and um, yeah, doing a lot of different stuff with them. We're leaving on December 27th and we just view that as a cool opportunity that god's given us to to uh, i don't know share his love internationally and with the the muslim population a lot of them are leaving turmoil and even though it's they're in a sad situation like they're open for the hope of jesus so that's that's cool that's what we're gonna bring hopefully
0: very cool and next year you guys have kind of a little bit of an adventure going on back at ywam
2: yeah next year we are leading one of the the school we did in the fall where we do tw- it's called a discipleship training school 12 weeks of classes and then the outreach which we went to South Africa we're gonna help lead that um, based out of Chico so you can be praying for that and the outreach will probably be to China but um, okay. yeah, yeah. And cool. I know that sometimes I think we shared this word with you in March but uh you know, we just feel like this is where God has called us to this season, and, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard to connect with, oh, they're going to China. I can't go to China, but as Jack said, like, your neighbor is the person that whoever's in your life at the moment, those are the people that, that, you know, God wants to share his love with, and so, yeah, for us, it looks a little different right now, but.
0: Very cool. Well, we're very proud of you, proud to partner with you. And uh, let's pray uh, for them, and uh, we'll invite you to join in with that. And just as we move to a time of communion, we uh, we remember this, we practice this every week, Uh, and the idea that this table the Lord gave is a a table of His body and His blood shed uh, for us, and that each and everyone who comes to faith in Christ puts their faith there is welcome to participate and to say, hey, because this is a news for all people. And just as we're talking about tonight, this is something that I think is easy to agree with in principle. But it's another thing to actually practice this. And so church, the challenge for you this week, real simply, and the invitation for you this week, for you guys in whatever arena that God ends up with in in Greece, and the challenge for me, and the challenge for each one of us is in whatever scope that God has you in, can you bring his news, this good news, like we looked at last week, not being a concealer of the light but being a revealer of that and being a revealer of that to each and every people group and person, knowing that people matter to God, that this Christmas story is a news for all people. So would you just kind of join in as we pray for the goodwillies and if you feel comfortable, you can reach your hand out and kind of pray for them and we'll pray that God will continue to grow us as a church to uh, to be a champion of this inclusive news of the gospel and of the story of Christmas. So Father, we pray for Tyler and Megan. We ask your best for them. We uh, pray for your blessing upon them. We ask that you would provide all that their needs have and all that they need. As they're out in the lobby afterwards, as people get a chance to connect, would you allow some conversations to happen? Would you allow us as a home church to be a champion for them? Uh, In the, the moments that they're in the refugee camps, and as they're walking around, I know all of our hearts have been moved by the by the stories that we see unfolding uh, in these refugee camps around the world. Uh, Thinking of Aleppo and Syria, and just everything we see in the news, God, it's heartbreaking. And you're giving them an opportunity to go to a place and to bring your light and your hope and practical, tangible needs, meeting practical, tangible needs that those folks have. I pray that you would give them the wisdom to have the words they need in the moments they're in. I pray that you'd give them insight to see how you see, to respond like you respond. And God, for us as a church, in our setting here, in the heart of our city, would you give us eyes to see how we need to see, how you see? Would you give us a heart that quickens our pulse to respond like you respond? Would you help us to be a champion of the most inclusive news ever to be shared, as you sent your son. And it's in his life and in his death and his resurrection we remember, we approach communion, and may this fuel us up for this week to put your love and light and hope on display to each person, to every person, that everyone's welcome and each one matters. We ask that we would be champions of that. We pray your best over the goodwillies. And over the heart of your church here, we ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.